Sonic States. So uh, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 110. Uh, Sonic Talk, of course, live, uh, as is our want these days. Uh, you can find us at sonicstate.com forward slash live. Got Gary Kibler in the uh, chat room, who um, you may remember from um, the, the fabulous Chaosolator demos, um, which kind of got us all started on the Chaosolator tip. And uh, in fact, he's in some way responsible for us all getting a Korg Chaosolator as panel members. Panel members. So uh, thank you, Korg. Thank you, Gary. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Uh, who else have we got? Um, Bakehouse. Ah, that must be Bakehouse. Um, Grant from Bakehouse Studios. As your head, Akai Pete. Don't know who that is, but I like the sound of that handle. Buddha. Who else have we got? Urethra Lef- Franklin is in the building as well. Glad to see. <laughs> as is Circuit Symphony. Um, as Oliver from um, um, well, Circuit Symphony, who you've seen uh, on SonicState.tv with a few videos of uh, his lovely synth collection. Who every week he comes on, he seems to say. I've got a new synth, and he's just got uh, Waldorf Blofeld. Oh, fantastic. Nice. <laughs> Redwalk says in the nice. uh, in the chat room, is your bladder still itching, urethra? Which is a bit unpleasant, really, but that's how the whole gag kind of came about. It's a long story, but we'll just kind of go with the flow. So hello uh, hello also to my, my vocal guests, um, who are, um, we are a bit depleted this week. Um, Dave Spears from G4 Software. How are you, Dave? I'm all right, actually. How are you? I, I'm I'm sort of one layer shy of being just warm enough. I think it's very very cold in the UK at the moment, which is kind of nice. It feels very Christmassy. We've got a big Christmas market um, in the centre of Bath, so there's loads of they put all these sheds up in the centre of Bath, and people sell tat um, for a week out of it. Not I as tatty as the Lapland scam, though. No, no. Well, that's another story, isn't it? The uh, there's there's a big news in the UK at the moment about um, a theme park called Lapland in Dorset. Um, which is really shoddy. It costs thirty pounds a ticket, and it, oh, well, I don't know how much it costs, but people are moaning about it. It feels starting to feel Christmassy. I went to see my daughter in her nativity play this morning, and uh, basically, as soon as she walked in the room, Jane, my partner, ran out sobbing. You know, usual thing. Now it wasn't quite that bad, but uh, she she should have brought her own hankies because I know she needed them. But it was very oh. sweet, and I would like to say my daughter remembered all the words to the not not insignificant number of songs. My favourite one was when they said. You're having a baby. You're having a baby. <laughs> it was pretty obvious, obviously, but yeah, I like that one. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, so anyway, Dave Spears, uh, g4software.com. Thank you for joining us. And Mr. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, where I imagine it's even colder. And um, is it freezing the um, the brass bits off your Emmy yet? Or are you... Um, <laughs> is it all, Almost. All, all frost protected? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, definitely frost protected, inculcated in uh, in one of our local CBS affiliates. Uh, many many Warrens, um, warm, heated, lovely. But uh, no, it it is. It's cold. It's cold here uh, today. It's been uh, yesterday was wonderful. It got up almost to fifty Fahrenheit, which is uh, pretty warm at this time of year. And uh, today it's snowing, so we'll have a we'll have a white Christmas. I think. Wow. And um, yeah, we're expecting it to. Uh, obviously, uh, in January and February, it gets to be pretty brutal around here. So we're all kind of steel yarding against that because uh, 
for the last month it's been oscillating between uh, the 40s fahrenheit and the 20s during the day and and that yeah uh, we start to think wow it's pretty cold how do we handle this but we forget that uh, as soon as january 15th rolls around it'll be negative three negative four and uh we'll really be in trouble mm. pjtracymusic.com is what you can see um pj up to stuff like i said um there's only a few of us this week i just like to say hans or non-eric from years of talk de hope you fit, hope you get better soon because uh, he's starting to get the headache which is a signifier of the flu at least around these parts maybe it's different in uh, in berlin where he's from so i hope he doesn't get that uh, mark is um doing his first public speaking gig tonight he wrote a speech um I spoke to him earlier, he said he wasn't going to be able to make it. So uh, good luck to you, Mark. And Rich Hilton is at um, Niall's crib studios where he works, obviously, Niall Rogers' crib. I think Niall's doing some kind of webcast, web thing, and he's uh, he's there doing some proper work. So let's move on. Um, now, the first one was the finest ad jingle known to man. And I just got a few uh, a few examples here, and I'd like to play one of them for you, especially this one. You're looking sharp, you're looking good, you've come so far, and we know how to make the most of who you are, father to son, it's what we've always done, to let the best of Everybody saying that. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough of that. But ad jingles, <laughs> I've got a whole selection of them. That was by John Parr, actually. I didn't realise this, but it, uh, there's a song. In fact, I'll just play this, whatever. It's obviously been adapted. Um, this is John Parr playing the original. Somebody bootlegged from a, a live gig he played in Doncaster, which is where he's originally from. Anyway, that was John Parr. Hey, PJ, I've just seen... Uh, where is he? I've just seen Jim Jammit. Jimmy Jammit. He's joining me from Minneapolis. He's PJ Tracy's studio mate. Yeah, hey. Jim Grafsgaard. Hey, well, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, I suppose we should just... Let's get on with the topics. Anyway, the finest ad jingles. Um, actually, it, it was all um, started off by... Um, there's a chap in the UK called uh, Charlie Brooker who does a programme called Screen Wipe which is a really, really irreverent look at television. And this week, he did a piece on um, advertising. And uh, it was characterised by him sitting down with an interview with an ad executive whose voice had been disguised because, obviously, Charlie Brooker thinks they're all um, really horrible people. And he's just sitting there and he says, firstly, I'd just like to get a couple of things out of the way. And he just starts to punch him <laughs> repeatedly in the face, all in sort of comedic kind of panto <laughs> style. And he asks him a question. He goes, oh, I see. And then just reaches over and does it again. So obviously advertising, <laughs> advertising people uh, are not the favourite of um, Charlie Brooker. But that's where it all started. And I thought, I remember the Gillette uh, Best A Man Can Get jingle because that was just one of those cracker ones. And I've got loads more. And I thought, how how hard is it to actually write a piece of music that's that condensed? I mean, because it really is, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I've done a couple of pitches for um, stings and things like that. And PJ, you must have come across this all the time because you kind of write to order in a lot of cases. I mean, how how much more of a difficult job is it to write a short, condensed thing, you know, like a minute, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever? 
I do. Yep. That's uh, primarily primarily these days how I make a living, but not not so much doing jingle work. Although although lately I've had more of it than I have in the past. Um, it's an it's an interesting business to be in. Um, you know, having to come up with with short pieces of music that sort of inculcate the message of the of the uh, of the client. And uh, in in my case, uh, usually I'll I'll try to sit down with a producer or director. Um, video editor whoever's in charge of uh you know of, of the project and uh get to know you know what it is that they that they want to try to convey and what is the mood and the sensibility that they're trying to convey and uh try to get inside their heads figure out what uh, what language they use musically which can be very very difficult to do as right. anybody that's worked with uh with uh, somebody that works visually will know and um and then go away, come back with a with a short demo, and then refine from there. But usually, it's uh, you know it's a really quick process. It's uh, you know very fast turnaround times for for at least the the people that. Are- I, I, the thing is, is I mean, you know, I'm used to working in pop, and we used to do a lot of radio edits for um, radio mixes for US radio, and they're, they're, there's very tight, you know, briefs for that, which is you know you've got to get a lot of the hooks in the first 30 seconds and then you've got to kind of get it yep. in at three minutes, three and a half minutes or whatever. And that's hard enough. But uh, I mean, doing it for a jingle thing where you've really got no time is, is really difficult. I just got something to play for Dave a sec. Another classic there. I don't know if you get that in the US. Did you recognise that, PJ? Perhaps they, no. I don't. I haven't th- heard perhaps that. they don't. Uh, they don't television advertise sanitary products in the US with such gusto as they have done here. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, they most definitely do. Okay, I'm surprised <laughs> it hasn't crossed. I'm surprised that one hasn't crossed the water, as it were. Um, <laughs> Maybe they, maybe, maybe, maybe the lady that, uh, that that wrote that because it's obviously you know that's nineteen eighties now. Her next ad will be for tenor. Tenor for men, tenor for women. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> no, but seriously, you don't get time to develop an idea. It has to be straight to the jugular, right? I mean, do you find that they, they, that sort of thing comes easy to you, PJ? Yeah, actually, I find it to be, I find it to be fairly, a fairly straightforward process. It's actually easier than writing an entire piece of music in some cases. Because mm. you... <clears throat> You don't have to figure out how to get to the point. You just get to it. It's kind of like writing the chorus to a pop song. Right, only. Just getting right. Yeah, yeah. Basically, just getting right into it. And lately, that seems to be sort of the sensibility that a lot of clients that I've been working for want to go for. They, wanna, they want <clears throat> what I'm doing to sound like I've chopped out you know, the best 60 minutes of, of a pop record. And uh, you know that they're using it to to sort of go along with whatever whatever sentiment that they're trying to convey. Yeah, the only time I remember pitching for a um, Sky News slot, which obviously is major, if we'd got, if you know, if we got that, because Will um, from Goldfrap got asked to do it while we were all working on the album. And he said, oh, you know, I'm going to do one like this. You want to have a go at one as well. And we both tried. And I just remember it took me ages. And <laughs> it was only 30 seconds or so. When you come up with an idea, you've got to then distill it and then distill it and then distill it and just cut out all the fat. And that's that's quite difficult. I mean, because in, even in the, in the creative process itself, you know, as we've discussed in the past, you know, one tends to um, indulge oneself and then you have to kind of go back and almost um, 
take some of that indulgence out so you can kind of get to the point certainly with some kind of music that doesn't work for everything i don't know yeah what i find helpful is to be able to to be in a creative dialogue with whoever's in charge project so if if i can get inside of a director's head and get involved in what language that they're using to try to convey what it is they want to convey then i find it easier to go back to the studio and not indulge so much i try to get right to the heart of it right to the heart of what they're doing you know i want to serve what it is they're doing now i've I've done pitches that's a lot harder to do because you have no idea who it is you're you're pitching too necessarily so you know you you don't have a you don't have a, a back and forth as far as what what it is that they're looking for particularly and they may know exactly what it is they want and they're just throwing it out there to you know they, they may not ex- have have a concept of exactly what they want but they may know a direction and they just throw it out there to several people and see whether or not something comes back that's closer in the ballpark but yeah uh when you, when you're actually working for a client i i find it helpful to get a fairly clear idea, you know, at the get go as to what it is that they want from me. And then try, I try to go for it right away. And, uh, currently I have a lot of success in bringing something back. Well, for instance, that the piece that I did that won an Emmy, um, that was actually a demo. I brought, I brought it to them based on a short conversation that I had with them listening to some music that they had used to edit some previous video to. And, right. uh, they liked, they liked it so much that they they, they had a, a tight turnaround. They just threw the demo on the air. They didn't even let me go back and, and remix it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, come on, do tell. You must have... Because uh, the thing is, with this sort of work, you get these sort of really arbitrary adjectives thrown about, don't you, that you have to kind of somehow incorporate into a 10-second, 20-second, 30-second sting. Yeah, my favourite one was, um, it needs more sore. That was sore. Yeah, what? and we were like, so is that S O R E or S A W or S O A R? Yeah, that's the kind of thing. I, know, I think that's the point that PJ's making. When you've actually talked to somebody, yeah. you cut, you would probably know which saw that was if you'd met the person who was coming up with that. But yeah, because yeah. a lot of this stuff, I mean, as as people get to pitch for these things. You know, you used to get demo fees, you used to get all sorts of things. You just don't get that anymore. So they can just say, no, no. I'll try again. And so you just sit there and you can be working on it for hours and hours and hours and or they can have lots of people having a go. And, you know, they'll, they might find something eventually, but all these people are essentially working for nothing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, rem- I remember one, one project back in the late 90s that I was working on where um, we were actually, and th- this is a, a little distasteful, but where you're actually asked to get as close as you possibly can to an, an existing piece of music without breaking copyright. Uh, and um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. horrible. Well, they put but something, up, they I put was something gonna- in place and then they go, yeah, we like that, but we can't afford it. Can you make it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, essentially that's what they do. Yeah, so so we were given an old James game tune and asked to pretty much you know remake it without without violating the original copyright, and we did something that we knew wouldn't violate the copyright. We felt had exactly the same feel as the piece, but they kept. Uh, and, and this will be uh, funny for anybody that's uh, that's seen the Saturday Night Live skit with Christopher Walken where he asks for more cowbell. They kept telling us nah it needs something it needs more shake it needs more groove you know they keep using all these terms we have no idea what they mean what they meant was it needed a cowbell (laughs) 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 because when we added a cowbell then that that was the the missing ingredient and it went to air Excellent. Were you going cowbell on the four, or was it more of a kind of rumba type of vibe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, more of a Cuban son kind of thing. I'm a thing. big fan of cowbells. I did a couple of things. Cow- just cowbell on the one. Great stuff. I Just like I say, um, Oliver Chesler's here in the chat room. I don't know if you know of his stuff. He posts quite a lot of uh, interesting product demos and stuff. Put some stuff on Sonic State TV. He's got his own channel. So hi there, Oliver Chesler. Thanks for coming over. I don't know what's happened. We have seem to have a larger amount this week, even though I haven't publicised it. What I did do is I signed up for the, ch- the Twitter thing, which in um, Stick'em, which is uh, what we're using... Uh, it basically tells all the Twitter followers, of which I've got like nine or something, that's all, that we're broadcasting at four o'clock. So I think actually there must have been some kind of thing going on, because I think Gary Kibler came out that way as well. So, hey, it works. <laughs> so We're right on the cutting edge, man. Hey, I see uh, Oliver Chester has done this, done um, five jingles for Absolute Vodka. Yeah, and he got, you said oh, he got five grand. Nice work. Good for you, mate. I've just got to play this. I've got another one. Dude, I can <laughs> recite that. I can recite can that. I learned that as a kid. Yeah. Well, there was always there were t-shirts. That was a brilliant campaign because there was t-shirts that had that kind of. Well, I can't that's, recite it. You can. That's how I had it. That's how I learned it. Somebody bought me a t-shirt as a kid, and people used to come up and go, "Can you say that?" And then try and put a pound in your head or something. Wow. Ah, go on, go on. Do you want to say it, Dave? Say it. Lip smacking, thirst quenching, ace tasting, motivating, good, buzzing, cool, talking, high, walking, fast, living, ever giving, cool, fizzing, Pepsi. Excellent. That reminds me of that. <laughs> That's excellent. Did you learn? Did you learn um, that Benny Hill, Ernie? All the words to that as well. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, and, probably not. And um, meatloaf, bat out of hell. In fact, I don't think anybody needs to learn the words to bat out of hell because it's just they're sort of ingrained on the psyche. If you come from the Western world <laughs> at all, you just sort of find it comes on and you know all the words. It's one of those really weird kind uh, of phenomena. <laughs> yeah, my missus yeah, the Eagles Desperado. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> stop now, stop! PJ? No, that reminds me, when I was a kid, we had a... McDonald's commercial that ran here ad nauseum, and occasionally when I pass by a McDonald's, it will be going through my head, and it's uh, Big Mac, uh, Big Mac, filet fish, quarter pound of French fries, icy Coke, thick shakes, Sundays, and apple pies. You know, just over and over again. <laughs> it's like a mantra. <laughs> it is. It's like a mantra. The McDonald's religion. <laughs> And did you know that, that, at least stateside, Barry Manlow is one of the biggest jingle writers over here? He wrote, uh, Dr. Pepper, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? And uh, let's, see. let's see, he also wrote a couple for McDonald's, a couple for, I believe, Folger's Coffee. It, it's amazing, you know, the people that have gotten involved in, in jingle writing. Wow, well, I mean, he doesn't need to write jingles, does he? I mean, maybe he just does it for fun. Well, my, my guess is with, with those particular clients that he's probably made the bulk of his fortune off of, off of writing the jingles. Yeah, maybe, because uh, didn't I read somewhere in the news recently that Barry Manilow was used in, um, in sort of correctional facilities? To, they played it to, <laughs> yes. they're, they're playing it to people who've been um, breaking kind of noise abatement laws, um, and there's these pictures of all these kind of rather bored-looking individuals, you know, ranging from hip-hop kids up to kind of, you know, white trash, whatever, just looking at their feet while they're being played at the Copa, 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 <laughs> or whichever it is, you know, like Barry Manilow songs, and they only play Barry Manilow. And apparently, if any of the people say that they quite like it, they have to take it off the playlist. 
So that they're kind of refining it to the pure essence of the Barry Manilow songs that uh, these kids don't like. And that's part of your treatment. You get, you have to listen to it, what is it, four times a year if you're ever done for uh, um, breaching the peace and having too loud a party in your sound system. That's super. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> and if for repeat offenders, people that have paid the fines walked away and then stayed out till three in the morning with the subwoofers going and their SUVs parked out behind their their tenements. They're uh, they're doing this and they're rotating uh, Barry Manilow songs in with. Um, is it the Platters that wrote the song "Only You"? The oh, falsetto. Right. Yeah, Only that, you. That, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew I had it in me. That must be another one that's just ingrained in my psyche somehow. You could say, what they should do is orchestrate yeah. a campaign where, you know, all of these kind of offenders start clicking their fingers and going, man, that's, it's like that joke, isn't it? With what's his name gets out of the lift. Um, God, who's that bloody saxophonist guy that everyone moans about? Kenny Ball. Kenny, Kenny G Kenny gets G. out of the lift Kenny and goes, man, that, that music's kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What a game guy. Oh, there's lots and lots of, um, there's lots and lots of sounds for um, torturing um, people coming from the chat room. Rob GS gives, gives them the birdie song. Um, Azio Head says 24-7 crazy frog. Yeah, that'll do it. Actually, just any crazy frog, even for a second, would be enough. I really hate that. Um, what else? I can't, I can't think of it. Before we stop... I want the, f- the what's your what's the best one, Dave? That you think? What's your favourite ad, or you know, the most memorable ad jingle for you? Probably that uh, I'd like to teach the world. I think. Hey, you know that as um, Roger um, Roger Cook and Peter Greenaway. Roger Cook, in fact, comes from Bristol. I met him. He's a really girt Bristol sort of bloke, and he um, he he moved to LA in the in the seventies or eighties. I think he did. Wow. And, uh, and married, I think, I, I'm not sure if I got this right, he married Tammy Wynette, or one of the kind of really big country singers, and he actually drove his Rolls Royce into a swimming pool. Superb. <laughs> Isn't that good? Fantastic. Lee Kemp from Bristol says, yay, Bristol. <laughs> so that was a Bristol shout out there. <laughs> That's actually not a terribly inspiring Moog Taurus pedal um, sound clip, but that's what they've got on offer at the Moog website, because um, Moog are indeed going to make a thousand Tauruses. Um, they're going to be new spec. They're going to have a 100% analog sound engine based entirely on the original Taurus 1 circuits. Taurus 1 style, one and a half octaves on the floor pedal, two VCA oscillators, ADS contour generator, VCA filter, output VCA, uh, presets, of course, and uh, MIDI in and arpeggiator and CV inputs, etc., etc. They're they're actually um, they're going to be about two thousand dollars each. But if you order the before, where is it? Fifteenth um, of February two thousand and nine. You get um, you get it for sixteen ninety five. Um, either that or the first two hundred and fifty people get them. So Moog Taurus, I've never played them. Dave, you must have um, you must have had a hold. They because they go on the floor and they've got really big keys. I've always assumed they've got loads of bass, but that is totally kind of irrelevant. I would have thought, or is it? I don't know. It kind of feels that way. I don't know. There were two, weren't there? There was the Mark One, which was supposedly the beefy one, and then there was a Mark Two with the thing on the stick, which was basically a Moog Rogue. Um, and everyone 
goes after the Mark Ones, which I think exchange hands for silly, silly money now. I think you'll pay about two thousand quid for a really pristine one. So Mark One actually. If these are compatible, you know, if these are similar balls to the Mark One, then they're a pretty good deal. Yeah, because that's about two, three thousand quid, three thousand dollars, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I- I've never played them. Have you got a set? Played a set? Used a set? Yeah, I've played them, used them. Um, yeah, they're kind of okay. I mean, I like them, but to be honest, they need to be through a thunderous PA. Yeah, you've got to put them on a like or, or a huge bass rig. Something to kind of move some floor because that MP3 demo. Okay, I know it was only MP3, but it didn't sound very walloping to me. Uh, no, no, it didn't have that kind of real massive ballsy low end. And what are the ones? Because has the Mark One got those little sliders on the side, or is that the Mark Two? The Mark Two is the one on with the stick with, with everything on. You know, that's got the sliders on the stick. Isn't there one that's got actually two? It's got. Um, Something on the floor that you put your foot on, and it's for it's for I don't know whether it's volume or or um, uh, filter or whatever. Or am I just imagining it? Uh, no, there is. Do you know it's been so long? I can hardly remember. I remember the the difference basically between the two versions. Uh, Oliver Chesler has handle- helpfully posted on the chat room uh, from Wikipedia, the Taurus was intended to be part of a larger organ-like synthesizer nicknamed the Constellation that would have also included two keyboards, hence the astrological name. Mm. Uh, okay. So maybe what they mm. should do is make the Taurus, and as um, DNA um, says in the chat room, they need to make the Constellation as well. That would really be something. That would be cool. Whatever that might be. Maybe it could be... You could just imagine, like, some... Cause wasn't that Moog Cordovox, the what the organ thing that looked really, really funky and kind of was white with uh, rounded sides and... Mm, imagine that with a Moog Taurus. That would be something kind of pretty cool to play live. Or just have in your den at home, together with some lava lamps. <laughs> big bass bin. <laughs> and a massive bass bin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like the sound of that. It'd be fantastic. Wow. It says here in that same Wikipedia article that the uh, the actual manuals of the organ became what are now the polymoog and the multimoog. All right, okay. What we're, go- what we're going to be incorporated into the con. Because I guess it would have been so expensive at that time to make an instrument that had all of that stuff in built in. I mean, it would have been, gee, I don't know, maybe the cost of a GX1. <laughs> uh, uh, God. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, Constellation. Yeah, it was supposed to have an Apollo and a monophonic synth called the Lyra and the bass pedals, the Taurus. There you go. Well, I like the sound of it. Um, I don't know if I'll be um, taking delivery of a Moog Taurus. I think um, perhaps at this moment I'd rather save my money for... Um Heating. Heating, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that came to us both at the same time. <laughs> right, um, what are we going to do next then? Um, oh, let's do this one. Uh, Blixer Bargfield from Einstürz and Neubatten um, said, apparently in an interview, in vinyl times, I remember being disillusioned with what I could find in any category. I remember finding records like Sleep Gently in the Womb by a Japanese medicine professor compiling sounds of what an unborn baby would hear on side A and on side B connecting it with classical music. That was an excellent record. Unfortunately, it melted under a lamp. I would like to see, I would like to be filed in 
Categories like that were where wandering spirits like myself could find me. I wish I could just say I have my own category, but then they'll start filing other people in there and I'm not happy with them. And what will I do then? Nothing in the filing world is happiness, <laughs> which is kind of quite, I mean, it's a lot of words, but it, uh, it kind of sums up quite a lot of things. I quite like the sound of that. And I thought that kind of brings up the question of uniqueness. And um, it seems to be impossible to be unique, truly unique these days. Do you think it's overrated? I mean, do you think we actually need to be slightly similar to something that everybody else likes so that, you know, we've got that kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Association. It's like the herd mentality that the humans are famous for. Dave, discuss. Blimey. Uh, yes, and I think that's probably why I don't do anything in um, advertising because it always has to be a kind of facsimile of something else and I just immediately kind of shy away from it so yes i do think i think that uniqueness and privacy are going to be the two most desirable assets in the future that's really funny actually thinking about that because i i don't know i'll let pj you go next because i've got a point i'd like to bring in after that sure um yeah i i agree with dave um you know i'll say i'll say this here i too tend to shy away from doing as much advertising as i can even though currently it's 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 what's paying the bills because i i i don't like <clears throat> knocking off other people's work but that being said uh it is difficult to find something that's really unique out there these days and i'm not necessarily sure that um oblique uniqueness or just un- uniqueness out, I, from from left field is is necessary in order to uh, at least personally move me you know if if something has has a bent to it that i haven't heard i i definitely appreciate that and i seek that out as often as i can possibly find it but uh it's really it's really difficult to find so i, I revel in in things like technique and people doing something well people something con- conveying something meaningful uh in in whatever it is that they're they're creating whatever it is their mode of creation happens to mm. be um so and but i do agree with dave that in the in the future that uh, being able to to produce something that's uh, ostensibly unique and privacy will be two uh, vastly sought after commodities. I don't think, Dave, you're strictly true about advertising being um, not. <laughs> Sorry. Hello. Yes, it's the uh, Coca-Cola advertising board. Yeah, that gig. Um, I hope that's none of my clients. That sounds a bit like yeah. <laughs> a ringtone. Yeah, no problem. How much? Yeah, anytime. Um, I, I was going to say, basically, I think a lot of advertising now they actually seek out kind of quite um, cutting edge, con- certainly contemporary electronic music that sort of has a really unique sound to it. I mean, there are definitely some things that I've heard. I would, I wouldn't necessarily totally agree with that. I think they're looking for something that does differentiate them from everything else now. I think that's maybe a bit different, but they're more likely to find that through a network of listeners rather than have someone compose it for them from scratch. And the other point was, um, you were saying uniqueness uh, and privacy, uh, which kind of tied in with, did anyone see the YouTube Live event? No. Anyone see that? There was this uh, on no. YouTube. There was they basically. I think they're going to make it a yearly thing. And now, so what they do? They had a big two-hour special, big sort of. It's like MTV Awards kind of thing, except it didn't have any point apart from introducing some of the YouTube people to do their things live. So they had like the guy who does the amazing the Japanese shredder playing live with uh, Joe Satriani, 
and various things like that. But the one thing that struck me about that is the uniqueness of those people really did not translate, in my mind, to a grand televisual event. And so um, it's quite interesting that they uh, that they've gone they they pulled the, all of this uh, all the plug out on it and really tried to kind of make it into a big showbiz event and it, it, it sort of fell flat in a little bit. But there's lots of sort of uncrafted presentations which um, don't amplify as well, which is totally irrelevant to this topic actually. So <laughs> I'm not sure why I brought it up. I just happened to see it this week and I didn't slit it into the uh, the topics. Interesting. But yeah, I oh, recommend you go and check it out because it's quite a phenomenon yeah. because obviously YouTube's massive and there are bits, but they've really done it like an MTV award and they've tried to give people who are celebrities within that world a voice and it didn't always work, but it was kind of interesting. Okay. Um, incidentally, I went to a party on Friday night last week uh, and I met um, Trevor, who is our news desk, his um, lady friend, his her son chap called charlie so cool like who has ninety seven thousand subscribers on youtube and his videos regularly get four hundred thousand views and this is wow. a kid from bath and he's he's gets oh, wow. he gets invited to talk at google conferences uh youtube love him you know he's like a really big deal and what's brilliant about him which is again is his uniqueness and his charm and the fact that he's quintessentially him and he gets to be creative with his video editing and it's 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 brilliant i thoroughly recommend checking out some of his stuff um it's it's just kind of quirky songs um great editing and just sort of really inventive use of a single webcam charlie's so cool like excellent but i'm rambling fantastic um is uniqueness overrated did we cover that sorry i've gone so far off topic i can't actually remember what anybody said because i'm the one who's been talking the most (laughs) 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 so um do you think uniqueness is overrated i mean because surely when you come up with something that has an essence of of maybe other things that haven't been combined in the past you feel when you listen or you would hope or when you hear something that you really empathize with it's because you recognize the influences and maybe recognize some of the creative stuff that goes into it or am i being way too philosophical i think in terms of uniqueness i like things that exist for a finite amount of time so for example i like bands that jam for example because it's different and if you go to a gig then it's kind of there's a uniqueness to that night even though it might be based on similar things that happen, you know, night after night, there's a sort of element. It, it's like that, the old 60s vibe of, of happening. And that's what I like about uniqueness. I don't know whether I like that, because yeah. I always remember when I used to go to gigs um, as a as a sort of, um, when I was in a band playing, we used to jam a lot and do those things. I was always very disappointed when I didn't hear enough of the essence of the original recording, I suppose, to kind of make me feel like I was getting what I paid for. But I don't know. I guess it maybe that's different for everybody. There's something quite challenging yeah. about the unique nature of something. You know, like you say, if there's no reference point, then it, you just tend to think a little harder about it, try and understand it a little bit more. Mm. And I like that. That's what kind of inspires me, really. Oh, no, I completely empathize with Dave's position. I mean, <clears throat> played in a lot of jazz bands and blues bands, and that's the thing that I relish about about live performance. I, I much prefer to play in a, in a group situation where uh, we're allowed to just go out into space during the gig. It's, it's, so, it's so much more satisfying <clears throat> from both a performing and listening position for me personally than is the other thing, than going to a gig or being part of a gig where everything is pre-programmed and you know exactly what it is you're doing. Um, Well, the fact that there's something very unique about gigs is actually 
pretty cool because um, I can get, I get to play this, and then we can discuss it, and Dave can talk all about it. I've got to get the chorus in for a payoff after all this time. Here we go. <laughs> Clap along now. Ooh, there's some fancy offbeat claps. Ah, wonderful. Uh, correctly <laughs> spotted by DNA there, Mott the Hoople and Azio Head, all the young dudes, yeah. And um, written by Bowie, as Azio had pointed out. Um, which has nothing to do with anything apart from the fact that um, this introduces the topic that you um, sent to me, Dave, which was um, this guy called Ray... Well, I don't know what his surname is. That's very poor. But basically, Ray, who's been to thousands and thousands of gigs since 1973, Mott the Hoople, supported by Queen, is listed as his first gig. But in fact, the BBC researcher did a bad job because if you go and dig a bit deeper, his first actual gig was Wizard and Raymond Froggart. There. There, I've said it now. <laughs> there you go. And um, you yeah. uh, obviously this kind of ties into your love of gigs because um, you you kind of um, said you'd recognised a few that you'd been in. And um, tell tell us a little bit about this because you've obviously spent more time on it than I have. I just thought it was awesome the fact that this guy, you know, it's, it's he's attended in excess of five thousand gigs in his life, and some of those were, you know, he was employed by security. But I love the fact that he's catalogued every single one of these. So, like, for example, I was going, he, on his website, you can uh, have a look at the gigs he's been to in, I think it starts in, like, 1973 or something. And I was like, wow, so that was the date that that happened, you know, because I was either uh, yeah, at okay. some of these or played a couple of them or... And I'm just amazed that I didn't know of this guy because, quite frankly, I think he should be given an OBE for services to live music. No, I think that's a fair point. He's um, he's got some great coats, hasn't he? You you sent a few, hasn't it? He went to see 1975. Who went to see Billy Cobham? Six out of ten. Too much jazz drumming for me. It's just brilliant. Which which really does kind of sum up a Billy Cobham gig because I saw him at Woman in the summer, and it really was too much jazz drumming. Frankly, you know, I immediately thought of Richard Evans, you know, miking up Billy Cobham's kit, kind of (laughs) saying what a nightmare it was. And there was another one with Herbie Hancock, wasn't it? You know, boring two hours of jazz piano. I mean, but utterly brilliant. Hold on, telephone. Hello, you're live on radio. How can I help you? (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is Mott the Hoople's lawyers. Feta cheese on the way home. All right, darling. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Just to prove that I'm a normal guy, like everybody else, I've got to get some feta cheese on the way home. Anyway, Brilliant. which I will. Um, 
fantastic. Yeah, there's some great ones. What was it? Uh, um, there's another one that, what was it? You, 1983, Robert Plant. Should have been better. The one I liked, which was uh, from the second, <laughs> second of the 12th, 1980, Talking Heads with uh, you 2 supporting. Bono climbs all over the PA system, which that's kind of that kind of sums up the stuff. I, I, there are I, I didn't get a chance to look through all of them obviously because there's so many, but it's a great, it's a really good kind of spinner. I might actually just browse it, and it'll probably send a, a few um, more topics my way. PJ, did you get a chance to check any of this stuff out? Oh yeah, I did, and this it's fantastic. And I was thinking this guy's been going to shows now for 36 years. And he's only 49 years old, so by the time he's 85, he's probably going going to have gone into excess of 10,000 shows. <laughs> wow. And wow, I mean, it's 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 fantastic. I, I enjoyed his top 10 list, though. I thought oh, it was I didn't uh, see that. fairly, yeah, fairly eclectic. Van Halen's on it, right? Uh, Thin Lizzy, the oh, Sex yeah, Pistols, you uh, too, um, and then a photo of him with the Sex Pistols. It's which fantastic. He, yeah. he did a sound check didn't he he did a sound check and took um, John Lydon's place they kind of but I mean they give him passes and they give him access to catering and everything so he's obviously been around Brilliant. a long time he needs to get a video camera oh I mean super or, or, a, or perhaps a handy Yamaha Pocket Track 2G to record all of his all of his gig, gig <laughs> notes with <laughs> So we'll just take a quick break here and say uh, thank you to uh, Yamaha Music Production who have been sponsoring the podcast and continue to do so. Uh, I'd like to draw your attention to the Pocket Track 2G. It's uh, about the size of two pencils, I'd say. It's very, very small. Two gigabytes, USB, has built-in stereo mic, records to a variety of formats, uh, built-in limiter, one's on run-rechargeable AAA nickel-hydrogen battery and can provide 19 hours of recording to uh, 2 gigabytes internal memory. Really simple to use, and it sounds great. It's one of those things that you could use for um, a, as a dictaphone, throwing ideas down, recording kind of interesting events. So if you want to check it out, um, please go to Yamaha Music Production. Please go to Yamaha Synth... Please go to YamahaSynth.com and check it out. I like the fact that he'd gone to like carpenters, you know, carpenters gigs, and then he'd go and see sort of Nazareth and Bowie and all of these kind of rock guys. Yeah, I mean Maze, you know, Frankie Beverly and Maze and stuff like that. It's just like I like amazing. I like your, I like your idea. The fact that when he gets to be eighty five, he'll have seen what a ten thousand or whatever. But in fact, if you think about it, his requirements because he's going to be getting deafer and deafer and deafer, and presumably health and safety will require that concerts get quieter and quieter and quieter. So he's <laughs> going to have to go in search of kind of off road events where he can hear really loud music, so he can actually make it out in his dotage. That'd be brilliant. Got to got to beat him. I've got to say though, his website's quite hard work, isn't it? It is, yeah, but it's it's got the oh, it's got the um, the feel of a person who has an eye for detail, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and the fact that he broke um, the the news that you know the faces were reforming because he'd had a chat with Rod Stewart at backstage <laughs> at some gig, you know, and oh, Rod had crazy. said, "Oh yeah, we're starting to rehearse," you know. It's like top dude, brilliant. I like I like this quote he has about a Wham show he saw in 1983. He says there were shuttlecocks down pants for Wham. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he said uh, Noel Gallagher stopped uh, singing Wonderwall like three words into the song because he didn't want fans to sing along. Oh. <laughs> you know what? I've got absolutely no time for those. Really none at all. <laughs> I know that's not a good word in the US, but in the UK it just means buffoon. 
Liam's moved in just down the road, actually. In fact, bizarrely <laughs> enough, in a link to your music, about five doors away from Mick Rouse from Mott the Hoople. What a strange coincidence, a tangled web we weave. Uh, and in fact, we've probably woven it to as much as we could, um, much as I, I can manage today, because um, I've got to go home. I've got to get some feta on the way home. And if I don't leave now, the shop will be shut. <laughs> so let's just call it a, a, a day. And um, thank you ever so much. Uh, I've, I would like to say thank you to the um, the chat room people first, actually, because we've, we've had a real bumper crop this week. So Twitter your mates and tell them that Sonic State records live on a Wednesday at 4pm GMT now. And uh, on that note, I will say goodbye to my studio guests or my virtual studio guests who are Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Thank you very much. Good fun. Yeah, good. Thank you very much, Dave. And PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, where I'm guessing you're going to have to go straight back to work and start cracking the whip and writing some more jingles, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Got to got to win another Emmy next year. Yeah, I'm on, I'm under pressure now. <laughs> <laughs> PJTracyMusic.com is where you can see what PJ's been up to. This has been Sonic Talk number 110. Once again, if you want to see us next time, sonicstate.com forward slash live got a live chat room and um stuff anyway see you later bye bye